week on Business Brief, we'll hear from Black artists in Missouri about growing their businesses. Then we'll feature a conversation about the complicated ethics of artificial intelligence in business. Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ansley Franco. Ansley, how are you doing this week? This week has honestly been a lot easier than last, um, and the week before, and the week before. So I have finally gotten to the smooth sailing, and finally, and I've said this every week so far, have gotten into the rhythm of this semester. So... How about you? Well, that's awesome to hear. I'm glad that, you know, week four, we're finally, you know, like chilling a little bit. I have a question for you. Um, Are you going to be watching the Super Bowl on Sunday? Not voluntarily. I'm (laughs) going to be going home this weekend back Mm -hmm. to Georgia to visit my family. Shh, it's a secret. And (laughs) it's a surprise visit. But we'll be going and we'll probably be watching the Super Bowl. That's exciting. Yeah, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl this year. We're going to get into that a little bit. Um, so that's super exciting. And it's the first Super Bowl to take place in uh, Las Vegas. So Oh, really? Super Bowl. Are you going to yeah. be watching it? I am going to be watching, yeah. Because of Taylor Swift. I mean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, are you ready to get into this week's headlines? Yeah, of course. Let's do it. Kansas City Chief fans are preparing for the Super Bowl this Sunday, and local advertisers will have to pay more this year to reach the big game's audience. This year, local advertising costs are triple what they were in 2022, when the Chiefs didn't plan the Super Bowl. Experts say local beer brands, car dealerships, and chain restaurants will dominate localized Super Bowl ads this year. The Missouri House gave approval to a bill this week that would create tax credits aimed at making child care more accessible for Missourians. The bill would create tax credits for taxpayers who donate to child care centers, child care providers, and employers who invest in child care needs for employers. This comes after similar legislation nearly passed in the General Assembly last year, but failed due to Senate dysfunction in the final week. The House also gave initial approval to the Regulatory Sandbox Act, another bill that legislators have attempted to pass in previous sessions. The legislation would create a new regulatory relief office. The office would select businesses to participate in a sandbox program, making them eligible to have regulations on products waived. Bankrupt trucking company Yellow announced this week it repaid $700 million in a federal COVID aid loan. The company, which used to be based in the Kansas City area, also paid over $150 million in interest. This loan made up almost all of the total funds distributed through the CARES Act National Security Loan Program. Yellow still owes nearly $800 million to other debtors. Kansas City will host six World Cup matches in 2026. FIFA officials announced the locations of the games for the International Soccer Tournament, and Kansas City's games include a quarterfinal match. Kansas City is the smallest of the 16 World Cup host cities, and the city is undergoing millions of dollars in infrastructure upgrades to accommodate the tournament. The Columbia City Council passed short-term rental restrictions this week. This comes after Kansas City and St. Louis passed similar regulations last year. Columbia's measures imposed new guidelines on three different tiers of rentals, including parking requirements and permitted rental nights. The restrictions will be implemented in June. For our first story, I spoke to some artists across Missouri to hear about their experience meshing their creativity with building a business. That's really neat. What inspired you to produce a story? I noticed a lot of art studios across the state are celebrating Black History Month by featuring artists of color. 
I was curious to learn more about what it takes to run a creative business. I was able to speak with three artists, including a printmaker, cartoonist, and photographer. First, here's Danny Hardy. She's a photographer from Kansas City who currently lives in Boston following her graduation from Mizzou last spring. I was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. My mom put me into dance when I was two years old, and I actually danced until I graduated high school. During high school, I was like, okay, I really want to like pursue this and like get a, uh, go to school for this in college, like major in like contemporary or modern dance. But then I was like, mm, you know, like I've done this my whole life. It was like what my whole life, my life was centered around dance, like almost completely. Um, and so I was like, oh, I kind of want to just try something different, like express my creativity in a different way. And I was also like interested in photography at the time, but I didn't really know anything about it. So I was like, I kind of want to like push more towards this. So when I went to Mizzou, I kind of dabbled in like a couple different like classes. I wasn't sure about it, but then I landed on digital storytelling and and then like the photo program and everything. So it kind of just like sparked my interest from there, like even further. So yeah, it kind of led me to yeah where I am, where I am now and like my goals now. I think I'm learning more about the business side as opposed to just like the artistic side of being like a photographer in general is like what I'm gonna speak to just cause like that's what I know most about. Um, really with just like being in a brand and like seeing how they operate in terms of like how they work with artists is very interesting to me. And so I feel like I'm just kind of just in a learning like sponge mode right now. So I probably have a better answer like down the road, but I think I'm just kind of just taking in how, how the two interact with each other, how business and brands needs can affect art and vice versa, like how art and like trends for lack of a better word are influenced by people just being themselves and making art, which in turn like in, uh, influences what brands are like interested in or they're wanting to collaborate with people they never maybe would have done before. So yeah, I feel like there's like kind of like a symbiotic relationship, but I'm definitely learning so much about just how the two affect each other. Now, here's Cameron Williams, who goes by Art Culture King. He's a St. Louis-based illustrator who produces cartoon prints. My name is Cam, a.k.a. Art Culture King, and uh, my homie Brock Shields came up with the name because at first it was Art Culture Company just because I was just a young kid and I was like, oh, I'm really into the art culture. Then he was like, nah, you the king. Not the king in like egotistical way, he just like, I got so many creative skills. He was like, you just conquer a lot. So conquering meaning king and everything. So he was like, yeah, you should just be called Art Culture King. And he probably don't realize he gave me this name because we don't ever really talk about it because we both just two humble artists. But yeah, it's more so Brock gave me the name and I ran with it. Things that inspired me to be an artist was always loving cartoons and just seeing colorful things and I always saw things different than everybody else. I do use Adobe Photoshop to do a lot of my sketching and all my digital work. Adobe Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator. And I also just carry around like, I got like two different sketchbooks, like a rough sketchbook and just a sketchbook where I like, I do like the actual finalized drawings and everything and then I scan those into the computer. So it's just a mix, a mixture of everything that I use when it comes to creating art. When it comes to any art community in any city, it's like you really gotta put the groundwork in. You gotta really give people something 
that they could connect with you with you can't just say i'm gonna put this out here and it's gonna sell you gotta like really give a story tell these people this is who i am i hope you support who i am i hope you connect with me in any way that way this art can remind you a certain time in your life i want people to have my art in their house i want people to have that connection with my art i want people to feel things when they see my art finally here's jesse donovan from st louis she runs a part-time print art business well, I, I was always interested in art as a kid, um, and then in high school, I was more pressured to study something more science-related. So when I went to Mizzou, at first I was in atmospheric science, and I was also in Air Force ROTC. And at some point in college, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. So actually, the second semester of my sophomore year, I kind of withdrew from my classes and a friend and I that summer like traveled around Europe. And I, it was just kind of like this mid-college crisis where I was like trying to figure out what I actually am doing. And I remember I was at a hostel. I had this conversation with someone, like an older man who was traveling around Europe because he was looking for a certain collection of like vinyl records. And I was like, what do you mean? You're just like traveling around collecting records. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you can do that? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you can actually do whatever you want. And so I really remember that conversation as being kind of like my inspiration to do that, to like actually kind of break down these barriers of like what I think I need to do and kind of opening my mind to like what I could do. So yeah, when I came back to Mizzou, I ended up switching my majors. I majored in fine art and German. And yeah, after college, I moved to St. Louis and I have always worked other jobs, but while even maintaining like a full-time job in another industry, in the evenings, weekends, my lunch breaks, like I've always been able to still be an artist. You know, everyone like defines success differently. So for me, even though I'm not working as a, you know, practicing artist full-time, um, I do feel like I've been successful and I've achieved a lot of the things that I have had goals to achieve for years. Um, and whether whether your goal is just like have certain exhibitions or artist residencies or a certain recognition, or it's to say, oh, I can financially support myself just with art. Um, whatever your goal is or however you define success, I feel like I'm not sure if it's even a Missouri thing or just in general, I, it's just consistency. And that's not to say you can't take breaks because I've definitely, well, <laughs> the pandemic probably had an impact on this, but you know, I had a year or two where I felt like I wasn't really making any work. But if you're, if you know that you're an artist, you'll always come back to it. Um, and when you decide like, I'm really going to do this thing, that's when I feel like you do have to have that consistency. Interesting to hear different perspectives on how artists channel their creativity. Definitely. And we'll have more from these artists soon on MissouriBusinessAlert.com. Our next story focuses on a topic that's pretty much inescapable right now. Oh yeah, what's that? The growing use of artificial intelligence in the business world. AI can be used in many different sectors like healthcare or marketing. Businesses around the world are starting to look at these technologies to make their processes more efficient or even more accurate. That is really interesting. But is there any kind of oversight for how AI is used in the public sector? Mm, that is a problem. 
There aren't many meaningful federal or state regulations for AI, meaning businesses can use it however they want. This can cause ethical dilemmas when it comes to privacy. In the meantime, academics and business owners have been researching and discussing the best practices for using AI. And what does that look like? Reporter Lucy Valeski spoke with Arivinda Garimilla, a business professor at the University of Illinois, about how businesses can use AI more ethically. Here's part of their conversation. Thank you for having me. What are some of the primary ethical concerns generally with the use of artificial intelligence kind of in the public sphere right now? I think some of the primary ones are um, bias, potentially, right? And when you say this, it's important to always, uh, let's let's be fair to AI here, right, for a moment. Uh, when we say AI is biased, we have to acknowledge that humans are biased too. So if we are introducing an algorithmic system, the goal should be to reduce bias compared to the status quo. If you cannot do that, if you're worsening it, it's not a good idea. Uh, lack of transparency is another um, this is becoming more and more serious now because we have very sophisticated algorithms. One thing people tend to do is whenever you talk about responsible AI, they like to bring up how challenging it is to be transparent. Why not start with some, uh, the simplest form of transparency is disclosure. Just disclose the use of algorithms. Even that many companies are not doing. Privacy is a very big one. I probably should have put that right up there. Actually, privacy is a really big one because how much data needs to go into an algorithm for it to produce um, you know, and then um, privacy of our own data. Here's what I'm talking about. The data that we give away uh, for the algorithms to work for us, so to speak. Why do you think businesses should consider ethics when thinking about um, um, deploying AI? It is my view, um, which I hope in the AI space can become more of a mainstream view that organizations have a responsibility towards the communities they operate in, right? It's using their data. It's, it's right, they, uh, it's, it's, they're not generating value out of nothing. They are generating, there is no business, there is no organization without its, with the consumers it serves. Let's talk from a strategy point of view. This, leaders who will prioritize this over just, you know, some quick profits and efficiency, are visionary leaders who are thinking, playing the long game. The rest, AI is now, this is all the hype. That's going to be there for a while, but the dust is going to settle and AI is still going to be as powerful as it is today. But people are going to be a little more deliberate and strategic in how they're implementing AI in their organizations. At that time, if you look like someone who's just chasing efficiency and short-term profits, you will fall behind in the long-term behind leaders who have given serious thought to the deployment of AI and its alignment with their own corporate purpose and values. Do you think that a lot of that onus of responsibility should be on the creator of these systems or the deployer or you know some mix of both? What you're asking here is, I would say, the most important question, which is you're getting to the point of accountability, which I think is the trickiest part of the responsible AI um, challenge that we are in right now. Now, speaking to who's responsible, I think what we really need is uh, these decisions cannot be made by heads of tech institutions because they have their own incentives. If you think about all the companies that are now in the race to have the best chat chatbot out there, right? Um, think about OpenAI, think about Microsoft, think about all these companies that are competing in the space. Their incentives are to stay ahead of the curve. Their incentive is one company dropped a good chatbot. I'm going to drop a better chatbot one week from now. 
So if you just think, you know, just from a logical perspective, they are not well positioned to consider ethics because their objective function is they want to get out there with the best product as quickly as possible. Uh, which is fine. They, every, you know, everybody who understands business understands that every business is answerable to its stakeholders. So, which means you need external checks. As an academic, I can tell you that um, there needs to be more dialogue between disciplines as well. The question of ethics is not a question of technology. It's a question of philosophy. It's a question of sociology. It's a question of psychology, right? Uh, much of my work tends to be uh, interdisciplinary. And in that, it's very important to bring perspectives from different fields to formulate uh, regulation or rules that can uh, better govern this space. Is there kind of a strong consensus on ethical standards? The short answer is, is uh, it's in progress, but not really. So what's happening with all these independent efforts of governments and organizations is we're getting more and more um, frameworks out there so that we can collectively hopefully develop some good uh, frameworks. Now, any collective framework though, I must, I must um, caveat this, is unlikely to be too useful for how exactly a business should run. It's how every individual business should be run because these will be general by definition because they have to apply across industries. So while we should put pressure on governments um, to, develop good frameworks, regulatory frameworks. And I think that's definitely something we should do. But we also have to reality check, nothing they come up with can exactly solve ethical issues our own in your own domain, in your business, the specific vertical you're working in. So organizations should look to these frameworks to get ideas, to generally comply but they should really uh, put intentional efforts internally towards developing uh, an ethical framework, the deployment and the rolling out of algorithms. It is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Ansley, what's your word this week? My word is naturopathic. Well, what does that even mean? <laughs> Naturopathic medicine is a type of medicine that uses botanical substances like herbs and supplements to treat ailments. These are used along with traditional treatments, and naturopathic doctors can't really participate in residency programs after medical school like traditional doctors do. This is because this type of medicine is only regulated at the state level, not the federal level. Okay, interesting. So why is this type of medicine in the news? Well, legislation in the Missouri General Assembly could open up licensing opportunities for naturopathic doctors looking to practice in Missouri. Twenty-two other states, including Kansas, have licensing laws for naturopathic doctors. So what would licensing change for naturopathic doctors? If the legislation is signed into law, naturopathic doctors would be allowed to write prescriptions and order labs for patients, among other typical medical duties traditional doctors have. That's all I've got this week. What's your word, Siggy? My word is royalty. I'm guessing you're not referring to the King of England? No, I'm actually talking about some royalty a little bit closer to home. The Kansas City Royals extended shortstop Bobby Witt Jr.'s contract by over a decade. Wow, what are the details of the contract? Witt signed an extension for 11 years and more than $288 million. There are some... 
There are additional options that could extend the deal to 14 years and more than... What the... Okay, awesome. There are additional options that could extend the deal to 14 years and more than $377 million. Wow, that's a lot of money. It is. It's the richest contract ever for the Royals, who historically haven't spent as much as larger market teams. And it's one of the 20 largest contracts in Major League Baseball history. Interesting. So it's a significant investment for the team. Yep, and it's not the only one. The Royals have spent more than $100 million this offseason signing free agents. That spending spree comes as the Royals are pursuing plans for a new stadium and seeking taxpayer support for that. For a closing thought, here's Danny Hardy again on how her identity influences her artistic expression. Well, that is all for this week. The M33 Project and Pottington Bear provided the music for this episode. From my co-host Ansley Franco, editors Brianna Davis, Gabriella Lacey, Sharon Rickabdar-Xavier, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacey, I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.